but mostly middle-class Australians to a degree. There are some other uh, nationalities represented. Hey there, <laughs> the back, I see that hand. <laughs> but for the most part, we all look the same. And, uh, you know, as we go through our text today, it's going to become clear that God's kingdom is actually broader than this homogenous group that we are here in middle-class Margaret River. And so, um, as we start with context, as we investigate Isaiah 56, we can actually see that it breaks into three or four, depending on how you want to look at it, parts, the look at this broader picture of what shape God's kingdom will take. You know, a kingdom that doesn't have this bias in it. And to get us there, it actually focuses on two minority groups. It focuses on foreigners and it focuses on those with a different sexual identity. But it could actually be any minority here, uh, a minority group, you know, blondes or conservatives or greenies. This kingdom that God is wanting to introduce, this kingdom that Jesus invites us all to partake of, transcends all of these boundaries. As we go through this, I want you to keep looking out for the different ways in which each of these other kingdom ideals, each of these hexagons, is actually linking and joining and, and helping us um, through to understand what this kingdom looks like. So our opening verse reminds us again, verse 1, it reminds us again of the need to walk with upright lives, you know, upstanding lives. And by now as we've come through our series, it should be clear to us that we all struggle with this. We all struggle to maintain justice. What's the verse? Maintain justice. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice. Do what is right. We all struggle to remember God's presence with us. We all struggle to stay on the path and not get lost. It's all part of our spiritual formation. It's all part of our discipleship process. I'm always reminded of something that was said to me in my discipleship as I went through. It was this. It was that character is who you are when nobody is looking. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And so you might say to yourself this morning, oh good, I'll just be super good when no one's looking and then I'll be right with God. I don't know about you, but I know this stuff. I've been walking with this stuff for a while and when I'm on my own, I still make dumb decisions, right? I still make decisions that either hurt myself or my relationship with my own person of who I say I want to be or I hurt my family when I do something that doesn't align with what we've agreed with. Or my relationship with God. I, I heard all of these aspects. And so it becomes clear that the righteousness that I need to walk in, I actually need to learn. And not just for me, but for those around me also. Like I shared earlier in the joke, we're all prone to making judgments against our neighbours pretty quickly. And so we need this opportunity um, where we actually stop, where we hear the words, Thus saith the Lord. Hey, listen up, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Hey, listen up. God says this, and this is what he says. He says, maintain justice, do what's right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the, the, uh, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hand from doing evil. I love that second line, just to pull out of my notes for a second. This, Blessed is the one who does this. Now, is that blessed is the one who does this, all the stuff in verse 1? Or is it blessed is the one who does this, all the, one, all the stuff that happens in verse 2 there? And the Hebrew, you can read it either way. But apart from that, the rest of the Hebrew is pretty clear. This idea of justice and righteousness is often linked in Hebrew texts. It refers 
to a rightness in the created order. And that doing justice would be to do what is inherently right in any relationship. Let me say that again. Doing justice would be to do what is inherently right in any relationship. And so immediately I think of parent-child relationships. What would a father give a stone if asked for bread? What is inherently right? What is inherently right way of acting regarding another person? And so at this point I want us to pause and I want us to think about what this means for us, for us as a church. What does justice and righteousness outworked look like for our congregation? If we know that we can't possibly live up to a living right standard on our own, then actually we need to be taught. We need to be taught to mirror God's righteousness in our actions until we get it right. And so where do we learn that from? We learn it from here. We need to learn it from God because the kingdom of God is a kingdom where community is restored by the replicated righteousness of God in the people of the community. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where the community, res- community is restored by the replicated righteousness of God in the people of the community. It's like we're mirrors of God's righteousness. You know, I believe this. I believe that the kingdom of God is a community of restored uh, relationships between people and between God. And it's restored by our reflection of who God is in us. And I desperately want this to be true of our congregation here. If you're visiting with us today, I'd love for you just to sit back and chill for a moment as I talk to the members here. I don't know why I said that. I've noticed that we don't have visitors, so that's fine. But for our regular church members, I need to let you know that I'm aware of a couple of pastoral issues going on in the church at the moment. The ongoing and the divisive nature of these issues gives me a moment to pause when I read this passage. Particularly in verse 2, the part about how we're meant to keep the Sabbath, where if we're doing things in a state where where we're being inherently right with one another, as we honour God in our services and we bless God with our lips, and yet we have this emotional junk that we carry with us in our backpacks, it gives me a moment to pause and to think, what sacrifice are we bringing to God as we come? What are we holding on to that we're not giving over to God? What are we overlooking that actually needs to come to the surface. As an example, I need to let you know, um, in the past months I've received text messages that contain threats of physical violence with the intent to intimidate. I need to let you know that this has happened in our church in between uh, members, past members. I want this to come to the surface because I know that I'm not the only one that has received these messages. Okay, so I want us to ask, what is just? What is inherently right response as our congregation? What is the inherently right response that we should have, not only to the person who is sending messages or the people, but what is the right response to each other as we receive or we find out that these messages are being sent to members of our congregation? You know, there's going, to be some, there's going to need to be some special meetings coming months for us to be able to be okay with one another again after these messages have been sent. 
you know, this is especially important because when we get into this next section of the text, it's going to become clear that in the kingdom of God, all the people who want a relationship with God are going to be there. Even if we don't like them. And that might mean that the kingdom looks radically different from what you're actually expecting of the kingdom of God. Some of this baggage that we're carrying is so bad that I'm actually tempted to ask the church to suspend the communion roster until it's dealt with. I'm glad that we were able to sing these songs about communion at the very end. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works in this regard. I want it sorted out. I want the promise in verse 2, blessed are those who keep the Sabbath without profaning or desecrating it. I want for our community to be a community restored by the replicated righteousness of God in our members. If we keep moving through the passage, we're actually being taught what God's righteousness is. We're taught how to accept those around us because in our own struggles, we still fail to know what's right. And so this is where the rubber hits the road. What is it that will keep me in relationship with God? And who is it that will be welcome in this future kingdom? And here Isaiah brings up these two groups of people. One, people of abnormal sexual identity. Two, foreigners. Verse 4 says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, to choose what pleases me and to hold fast to my covenant. You know, for these people to be included in the kingdom, this goes in direct contrast to the law in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 where it says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. And so this is a topsy-turvy teaching in the Old Testament. It's turning Old Testament uh, law on its head. These eunuchs would have been shunned by their society, had to deal with the effects of hormone deprivation in a non-medical era, would have had to have the same levels of mental and emotional trauma as today's struggling minorities. Here, though, in verses 4 and 5, what are these people given in the kingdom? They're given a name that will last forever. If they, when they do church, honour God with their life as worship to God, if they keep the commandments, Exodus 20, don't keep idols, don't profane using God's name, keep the Sabbath, honour your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. As we read Isaiah again, if they do these things that please God by loving God and loving their neighbour, then these people will be in the kingdom. Let's look at another minority group at that time, foreigners, verse 6 onwards. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him. These I will bring to my holy mount and I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. Those who look and talk differently to us. God's kingdom will belong to them also should they want it. Before we came to Margaret River, my wife and I planted a church in partnership with another uh, pastor in Perth in a suburb called Karawara. Uh, the church we were in put simply was too affluent to impact the surrounding lower socioeconomic suburbs. We attended uh, Livestream's Christian Church, South Perth, uh, their block, which was right next to Penrose College, Penrose College, sorry, uh, and the local affluence of surrounding suburbs, Como, South Perth, um, you know, all that area. It meant that it was a blockage to the way that the uni students and the Homes West housing uh, owners or residents on the other side of the golf course, they would never actually feel comfortable walking into that church. They would never be served by that community. And so as the, as the church thought about it, as it stepped out of itself, it said, we acknowledge who we are 
And we know that God's kingdom is bigger than this. They thought about it and they said that there needs to be a cross-cultural church plant planted in such a way as that those that would attend the new church would feel welcome, at ease and able to worship in a way that reflected their own heart and economic context. The plant team consisted of about 15 people. Uh, half of them were middle-class white Australian, but also there, there were Asians, Indigenous Australians and people of English backgrounds. So they were all present. The Mother Church live streams, they paid the bills for two years as we established and grew a truly multicultural, multi-class ministry. For an example of what this looked like, while I was there, I'm aware that there were at least two people from that church that were in and out of accommodation and sleeping rough during most of the time that I was there in the two years. And they were just so happy to be a part of the church. You know, in this story that I just shared, we stepped outside of ourselves to doing something truly unique. We embraced what this passage in Isaiah 56 looks like in part. We brought the kingdom of God near to the uni students in the Homes West housing lots residents. We did this by replicating God's justice, God's righteousness, and it was amazing to see how the community responded. You know, sometimes when I hear myself say, hey, we need to be more missional in our approach to church, I wonder, does that mean... You know, let's go find more people who look and talk like me. You know, is that the point of church? You know, a church full of demos? You know, or do we, do we say, yeah, I want to engage with those that are in the lower socioeconomic station or situation. But hang on a second, I just don't want to deal with their problems that, that just seem to always come with that. When Jesus said that the harvest was plentiful but the workers are few, this is what he was talking about. Just like in 4 to 6, there are people out there who want to honour God with their lives and then sometimes we just get in their way by saying church needs to be done this way. Come to our rich church even though you feel bad because you're not wearing what we wear. Or it has to be that way. Or we need a new pastor and he has to be this or he has to be that. Um, You know, our church is our church. Our our town is a town where actually there's a whole heap of single mums out there. And if we get another male pastor, are we going to be able to minister to those single mums as best as we could if we got a female pastor? Bringing it back to Marx again, if this town is made up of one in five people that were born overseas, then actually, and that's an ABS stat, there's about 2,000 people who were born overseas uh, out of the 10,000 that are here, then the church should actually be reflective of that statistic. I would love to see what a truly indigenous Margaret River church would look like. And by indigenous, I don't mean Aboriginal indigenous, you know, first Australians. I mean the people of this culture. What is Margaret River's own indigenous culture? Surfies, so on and so forth. Um, You know, hospitality workers, people who love to eat and share and serve people. People, I don't know, just snowball those ideas in your head. I would love to see what a truly indigenous Margaret River Church would look like. You go, but Damo, I can't stand the lifestyles of those who are in lower socioeconomic class than me. Well, guess what? They're still welcome in the kingdom of God. How can we make church a welcome place for them to be a part of? You say, oh, but Damo, if I were to be honest, I don't like the lifestyles of those who have different sexual identity problems. How would I ever help disciple them? 
And I ask you the question, when you first decided that you wanted to acknowledge God and worship in a community, did you have your lifestyle sorted out? I know for me, my lifestyle was well skewed when I wasn't walking with God. And it's only by the grace of a few people that I was able to start walking through the doors each week. Let me bring it back to verse 1 and 2 briefly. Can I ask what just and inherently right behaviour looks like when we're interacting with these people groups? Are those who have differing opinions on sexual identity any less able to seek after God's kingdom should they want to? For those that are, in long, for those that are long-term disciples of Christ in this room, what was Philip's response when he saw the eunuch that was, right, that was reading the Isaiah scroll in Acts 8? What was his response? Philip, commanded by God, hey, go over here. He ran into the Ethiopian eunuch up on his chariot, reading the scroll of Isaiah. What did Philip do? He got up. He shared with him, hey, this is what it's about. Ah, I get it, says the Ethiopian eunuch. Amazing transformation. And so I don't have a lot left to say, but winding down, you know, can we recognise that we're actually struggling to live up to the standards of a right and just life? You know, if we look at Romans 3, verses 9 and 10, They help us see plainly that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all have our own baggage that we're dealing with, whether we're aware of it or not. Do I have any advantage over you guys in getting back in right relationship with God? You know, because I hear, because I'm a part, because I'm up in... No, I have no advantage over you. The foot, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And so the only way we can walk in righteousness is by faith. Let me say that again. The only way we can walk in righteousness is by faith, acknowledging what Jesus has done in bringing us back into relationship with God. And so what does this righteous faith look like? Isaiah 56 is a great example. It is, it's one where a commentator writes of it. He says Isaiah 56 is a specific example of realised righteousness where we recognise that covenant that was mentioned in 1 to 6. That covenant that, hey, I'm going to keep this covenant with God and I'm going to attend and I'm not going to defile Sunday or Sabbath. That covenant is not actually a performance measure, but it's actually a relational measure. You know, and that's good news. Yeah? And so what does that look look like outworked for the church? Um, The church age? You know, as Christ instituted it by the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 7, These I will bring to my holy mountain. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. You know, we're living it. It's already happening. If we look at it with humility and discerning eyes, you know, actually we, we are the foreigners. We're the foreigners in this passage. And it's amazing how far this has come from the Middle East to us to be part of it today. We are those that have been gathered, verse 8. And as we continue to trust in Jesus for his provision for this church, we'll continue to grow more and more into godly character as we represent the kingdom to our community. Let's bring this into land here. 
So where do we start today? You know, I'd like to think that I tried to make this a three-part sermon. You know, justice or righteousness, uh, foreigners or eunuchs, and then uh, God's acceptance and in gathering. Let's have a look at this justice and righteousness. Are we actually able to live this righteousness out in our own strength? No, no, no. What is our heart attitude to our Sunday gathering? Am I here for my? Am I here for me? Am I? Am I here for God? Am I here uh, for others? What is the correct response in this place? How can we actually honour the Sabbath, honour this place of church, honour the day that we're actually meant to take a space and say, actually, I'm going to honour God with this day? As we approach church, is it, no, I'm going to come to church because of what I get out of it? Or is it actually, I'm going to come to church because I want to honour God and I want to actually represent the reflected righteousness of God that's in me to my community? to my local inner church community. I want to represent that to my local community on the outside. You know, part two, foreigners and eunuchs. You know, a representation of any minority, any one of us, and a representation of our own potential reason for not being able to engage in the kingdom. What does God promise for these people if they choose to engage? What is the promise for us? The promise for us. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I will accept their sacrifice. True relationship. Last one, God's acceptance and ingathering. You know, so is there any reason to boast? Should being able to be, you know, should being able to quote half the Bible get me into a right relationship with God? If I can quote half the Bible, it doesn't mean that I've actually developed a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that I've understand what reflected righteousness is. It just means that I'm good at remembering things. Now, does it talk about something deeper? This righteousness that we walk in is only because of the grace of God. And it's this that the people will see and they'll want to know more about it when they encounter it. And so the kingdom of God is a kingdom where community is restored by the replicated righteousness of God in the people of the community. Let's pray together. Lord God, you know our hearts this morning. You know all of the interactions between every single one of the people in this room. Lord, I, I think of where you've, uh, where you've called us to be really mindful about how we take communion. And I know that you ask us to be right and in right relationship with each person. And Lord, that if we, um, if we are not in right relationship, then actually we should abstain. We should not take communion because it actually shows that there's a problem uh, in our relationships. And Lord, you don't want that. Lord, we... We want to acknowledge you as God in this place. And Lord, we know that actually walking in this righteousness is a struggle for us. We, we need to learn how to do it. Lord, we need you to guide us. And we thank you for your provision of your word, the Bible, and how that can help us and engage us to walk in right ways. Lord, I know that as we approach our relationships in this church and in our relationships with those in the community, Lord, that you would want us to live your righteousness reflected. And Lord, we're so sorry for those times where we don't get it right. Lord, I pray you would help us. 
Lord, help us live lives that reflect justice, peace, your presence with us. Lord, where we can bring healing, your healing to the community, to those around us, to our own relationships. Lord, we ask you to work in amongst us by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.